Welcome to the City Confessions. I'm Marianne Yip, a native New Yorker, and I'm here to discuss all the thoughts that go to the minds of people living in New York City. Since I'm a native who was born and raised in a city that never sleeps, I come across people who are constantly in a rush. I would like to take a moment to sit down and talk about what's on their minds and what keeps them up at night. So sit back and let's dive into these confessions of people I know and people I just met. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the City Confessions. I hope you are all doing well and sit back for an interesting and fun conversation with today's guest. We are joined by Jim Frawley. He is an executive coach, business consultant, author, host of the Bellwether Hub podcast, and the CEO of Bellwether. So hi, Jim. Welcome. And how are you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Marianne. I'm very excited to be here. Amazing. I know that you are a podcast host yourself. We can dive into that. But before we do, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do, and what your relationship is with New York City. Sure. Uh, my name is Jim Frawley. I run an organization called Bellwether. We are an executive coaching and change management business consulting firm. So basically what we do, the easiest way to say it is we elevate talent. We get your, uh, your people to be thinking about things in a different way. We get you as an individual thinking about things in a different way to get you to where you want to be. Um, and the best kind of framework I put around that is the world is changing so quickly that we don't know how to prepare for change that we don't know is coming. We help people prepare for that type of change. So that's specifically what we do. Um, I've been doing this now for about six years at a short career, well, 15 year career in finance and my tie to New York city. I was born in the Bronx, uh, lived there for uh, a bit. We moved out of the city and now, um, then I moved back to the city and now I'm up in Westchester County and I commute to the city and, uh, New York will always, always be my home. Amazing. I actually love Westchester. One of my really good friends lives there, but it's so funny because when I first heard about Westchester, like back in the day, I thought it was so far, like being from New York, because I grew up in the Lower East Side. And now that obviously I'm older and I've been there, I'm like, it's so, so close to the city. And it's such a wonderful, I think, place to just kind of have space, but also be so close to the city. It, it, you know, we were thinking about where we wanted to go. We wanted to have a family. We wanted, you know, just a little bit more space than what, I mean, we were living in Jersey City and uh, my wife was living in New York City and um, we just wanted, you know, a place for, for kids to run around. We found this perfect little neighborhood, which is 30 minutes on the express right into Grand Central. And mm -hmm. it's like an enchanted forest up here. Like you're just running down these trails and you've got this old stone bridge and you've got this river and it's, um, you know, we, you could walk into Yonkers, you could walk into New Rochelle, you could walk in all these different places and it's... Um, it's pretty good. That sounds lovely. <laughs> Delightful. Yes. Yes, for sure. Okay. So I would love to hear about your journey in creating Bellwether and how did you get into the coaching business? What inspired you to even, you know, create this? And yeah, tell me about the journey to that. 
Sure. It's, um, I, I guess what my catalyst was to go into coaching was that I was so frustrated with where I was in corporate. And, you know, as I reflect on the time now, uh, I was always blaming other people for why I couldn't be more successful in doing what I was doing. And in actuality, it was my own kind of my own challenge. Um, so, I mean, way back 20 some years ago, uh, I graduated college, was working in radio, paid no money. And so I got a, uh, a little job uh, working for a data analytics firm. And I ended up uh, working in their training department. So I traveled around the world doing cultural training. And uh, that got me stuck in Omaha, Nebraska. And the only way to get out of Omaha, Nebraska was to join a company that was back on the East Coast. So uh, I joined a financial firm out there. They moved me back to the East Coast. And that just kind of snowballed into, I fell ass backwards into this financial industry for about 15 years. And I did not enjoy it because I wasn't doing anything that really, you know, that old saying, you know, we would look for meaning and we want purpose. And, you know, I was saying all those ridiculous things. And uh, I went to a coach to put together some business plans on what I could potentially do. And uh, I was thinking about it for a long time. And my wife came home. Her boss had gone through an executive coaching program up at Columbia. And uh, the skies aligned and everything parted. And I said, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And uh, I did the program. Um, the next day I walked in, I was working for a financial firm and uh, I walked in my boss and said, I'm out. They asked me to stay on for another six months. I stayed on for six months. And uh, now uh, I have just this business that is designed to make people be better. And the, the interesting thing about it is that I've seen through all my time in corporate what coaches do and there are so many ways to do it better that uh, that's kind of my little niche on setting up clients, setting up coaching programs and development programs and how to get the biggest ROI from your talent development people rather than just saying, oh, we'll see improvement when we see it. And, uh, and it's, it's been going pretty well. Since you've been in the coaching business, what is one misconception you think people have about coaches or just coaching in general? Um, I'll say there's probably two. One is the biggest misconception of coaches. Coaching is like this big, massive dime a dozen thing. Like everybody's a coach now. Mm -hmm, so, exactly. the, the big, so my biggest challenge with it is, uh, and I, you know, when I said this to my sister, when I was first getting started, I said, everybody's a coach and a lot of them aren't, you know, it was terrible to say, but they aren't very good, right? They think they might know what they're talking about, but, um, there's a saying where, uh, we don't see things as uh, they are. We see things as we are. So people aren't really aware of how to run a business and they're trying to be business coaches or they're, you know, they're trying to find these, these specialist niches. And uh, my sister said, well, look, not every doctor is a great doctor, but they still need doctors. And I said, all right, good point. Um, and so the biggest misconception, at least that that's spread out in the coaching industry, is that you can't measure success you can't, you know, the question is, oh, you can't measure, you know, you can't measure good leadership and you can't measure all of these things. And and I, I call BS on that. And, you know, if you just want to measure leadership, it's, you're not going to get an answer, but you have to take it further and you have to say, you know what, what constitutes good leadership and what behaviors can be measured. And that's how you actually find value in your, in your coaching program. 
Um, and so a lot of the time, most of the people I talk to about coaching, I don't take on as clients. I'm very fortunate that I get to say, you know what, I want to work with you and you're not, I'm not the right person for you. And I'll, I'll, Mm -hmm. you know, introduce people because, uh, the, the only way that coaching is going to work is if a person's fully committed to it and they have someone who's not trying to push any kind of agenda. So no client of mine starts without an end date in mind. No client starts until we figure out what success actually looks like and we hit it. And if we don't hit it, they get their money back. And no other, I don't know any other coaches who do that. Um, Mm -hmm. But those are the big misconceptions of, you know, oh, oh, I worked with a coach and it wasn't very good. I hear that all the time. Then, you know, we have to do the work and finding the right coach for us because it's, it's your money, it's your ROI, it's your world. And these people, these coaches have to have you focused on, on what's best for you. Yeah, when I hear you saying that, it reminds me a little bit about of like therapy. <laughs> like you kind of have to vet out different therapists until you find whether you know you vibe with them, whether their methods are just aligned with how you operate. And maybe one, I don't know if it's a misconception that I personally have, but do you have to have been through coaching yourself to be a successful coach? I, I would say it certainly helps. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I went, I went to a coach and this guy wasn't a certified coach. He was just some guy that I was introduced to. I didn't even know what coaching was, but he was so good at asking me really good questions. Like he was the perfect guy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother-in-law introduced us and, and we ended up having gone to the same college. Like it was, uh, and he was close to retirement and he was just this really good, really good guy. But I get asked all the time, um, you know, do you treat people differently based on, you know, potential female clients? You know, do you treat uh, women clients different than male clients? And I say no. But if you're a female looking for a coach, you have to figure out what specifically it is that you're looking for. Some feel more comfortable sharing with uh, a female coach and they want to have that kind of relationship. And that's great. And that's perfect. Others want to think slightly differently, maybe. And and they might want to say, you know what? Maybe I do want a, a male coach just to challenge the way that I'm thinking because I'm thinking about differently. And the saying I say to all these potential clients is, you know, I won't be offended if you don't pick me mm-hmm. because you can have the greatest peach tree in Georgia, but some people don't need a peach mm-hmm. and that's fine. And so you have to find what's specific to you. And, and one of the core aspects of this is, does the person have experience in, in doing what it is that you need them to do. So the Columbia program up in, up in uh, Manhattan is phenomenal. Um, we have to go through coaching as part of it. We're coaching each other. And then I have to go find five um, actual paying clients before they even give you the certification among other things. Um, so finding the right coach with the right certification who has that type of experience is, is only going to make your world uh, and, and the, the coaching engagement better. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I know that you were talking about when you take on clients, you really try to understand what obviously their goals are, what success means to them. So I want to turn it back to you. And how do you define success? And a follow-up question is, what does happiness look like to you or what does happiness feel like to you? Uh, I'm writing this down because it's such a big one. Okay. <laughs> Success and happiness are two yes. very different things. Mm-hmm. The um, so the happiness factor uh, is an equation that we all know, but we just tend to ignore, and we say we're not happy, um, 
when we really mean we're not satisfied or something like that. The happiness equation is expectations um, times satisfaction. Mm. And, you know, for anybody who says they're not happy, either their expectations were wrong or their satisfaction hasn't been hit. Both of those you control. And one of my favorite, I read a lot. I'm a big reader. My favorite quote of all time is a Jean-Jacques Rousseau quote, where it's, how can anyone be satisfied in life if they aren't satisfied with the one person they can never be separated from? And that's, you know, and and my book is all about, you know, we're focused on so much change externally. We're focused on so much success and happiness externally. The Instagram world, we're looking at all these things, um, but they're all distractions. So macro change, dealing with anything macro outside of you requires a focus on what micro you can control and micro you, your perspective and micro you on, you know, we've been fed a lot of lines over time. And this was part of my big awareness, you know, as I left corporate, I wish I learned this way back at the beginning of when I started working, you know, I would complain that my managers weren't giving me the, the. Um, feedback I needed to be successful. I'm like, I can't be successful. I'm not getting the feedback I want, but I never asked for it. And I never, I never asked for it in the right way. And I never told my bosses what it was I wanted to do. I was, I was told that if I worked hard, then I would be recognized and you'll get some, some good promotion and, and everyone will do that. And that's a bunch of uh, BS. Uh, Nobody's going to recognize it until you tell them. And so your success and your happiness has to be defined by you but it's also in, in, in challenging your capability and what it is that you're looking to accomplish. Um, and that's, I mean, I could go on and on about, mm-hmm. you know, being a, a learner and, uh, and doing, um, uh, thinking about humility and, and how humility is damaging to, to being successful and everything else um, because we've misinterpreted what humility actually is. So how I define success and, and happiness is really about what I can, I can set my sights on and, and what I can accomplish and uh, what my expectations are in doing more than what I thought I could possibly do. If that, that's no. a long way of <laughs> answering. No, I love it. It was so powerful. I really like the equation that you mentioned about happiness. And the reason why I ask this question is because I feel like oftentimes people define success with happiness. And it got me thinking, actually, I do think there are different components, not to say they can't coexist at the same time, but it's such a great way for people and all of us to really sit down, right, and have that self-reflection and and realize, is our definition of both terms coming from within, or is it kind of tainted by societal standards? So I really think what you said was really insightful. So thank you for that. Oh, ah, I've never been called insightful, but I will take it. <laughs> uh, but we hear about it a lot. It's, you know, it's like that saying, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, they're always going to think that they're a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the analogy I like to use is a running analogy, because I like to run, is if you need to get somewhere, uh, is like running up a hill. The worst part about running is running up a hill. And the reason why is because nobody knows how to run up a hill. Because when they're running up the hill, they're looking up at the top of the hill. And some old guy taught me one time while I was running. He said, the way to run up a hill is to look down and look at your feet. 
It's the one thing that you can control and you're not being distracted by anything else. You're not being distracted at who's going faster or slower than you next to you. You're not being fast uh, uh, distracted by how big the, the hill is that you're running up because the whole time you're looking at the hill, your mind's telling you stop. You're not good enough. You're not going to make it. Start walking. You're going to hurt yourself. But if you're looking at your feet, you don't feel how big that hill is until the grade starts to change and you're already at the top. And so looking at everything else externally while not looking at just one foot in front of the other, like, you know, you're going up a hill. You can feel it. You know, when you get to the top of the hill, because you're going to feel that everything's changed. So focus on your one step in front of the other and nothing else uh, that will get you to the top of whatever hill that whatever hill you're looking to get up to. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I love that. I also want to know throughout your journey as being a coach, whether that's the last six years or just your entrepreneurial journey, you know, thus far, when have you felt the most challenged? Like, what are those moments, or you can name one or two where, I don't want to say you were at your lowest point, but it was very tough. Um, ooh. Yeah, um, so there's a bunch. There's a bunch. Um, the one I've probably spoken the most about, so two of my podcasts in the middle of the pandemic, that I'm getting massive amounts of um, people reached out to me about them or um, one, why and when I quit drinking and two, um, I did an Ironman and I talked about, you know, my dark place and, and, you know, it's something that I've always dealt with. And I feel like most people deal with this mentality of uh, I'm not good enough. Um, What's this challenge that I'm doing? Um, should I even be in this seat? Am I making the right decisions? What's the point? Uh, and I deal with those quite a bit and I've got these ups and downs. And, um, so most of my challenges, uh, aren't necessarily, you know, getting this big client or can I do these? I mean, I, I accomplish a lot of things because I'm very high in self-efficacy and I understand the steps to get them done. Writing a book was no big deal. I sat down and wrote a book doing an Ironman. No big deal. I sat down and I did an Ironman. Like you can, I have one of the, one of those abilities where I can identify what needs to be finished and then execute on those individual steps. So most of my low points were, um, were again, were the internal things on, on dealing with what I had to deal with, uh, to get my own self out of my own way. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does. And on the flip side, when have you felt the most proud? What are your either career or personal highlights? Um, I guess I would say, um, I mean, the top one from a career perspective is actually launching my own business, um, which I never would have done if I didn't have my wife. Um, I wouldn't have done it if I were single, I wouldn't have had the guts to do it. Um, so she kind of changed my mentality on what I was actually capable of doing. And since that time of, so in the book I write, Maybe I'll just talk about it this way. The day I turned 30, I had like this life-changing epiphany moment where I woke up in my apartment and it smelled different. It smelled like my grandparents' beach house. And um, it was just like this really weird kind of thing. And everything just clicked in my head, like bang, everything was good. Light switch went off and everything just made a lot of sense. And it changed the way I approach everything. And I don't know what caused it, uh, but shortly thereafter, I, I ended up meeting 
the woman who would be my wife and I changed the way that I was approaching work and I started thinking about how to get out of the corporate world. And I was thinking about all of these things and it changed the way that I actually approach things. More learning mindset. I don't have to have all the answers. Let me ask lots of really good questions. Um, and that's been going on. I mean, I'm 42 now and that's been going on in everything is getting uh, just better and better. So my successes continue to grow. Uh, I launched my business. Um, I've been getting bigger and better clients. I wrote a book. I did an Ironman. Um, and I've got even bigger plans for for the next couple of years. So uh, the fact that I can actually recognize my capability, recognize what my limits are, and kind of blast through them, I would say those are my biggest success points. Um because when I think about like success of an individual thing that I'm doing, I no longer think about it in terms of, oh, this is a really big accomplishment. Um, people say, oh, you wrote a book. That's amazing. And I say, whatever, it's done. Like now I'm on, like I'm writing my next book. And it's, um, you just blast through things to accomplish because they're fun and they're interesting. And, and you're, it's a whole different way to approach work and, and a whole different way to approach, um, uh, I guess life in general, but, um, I mean, I'm, from every, every decision I've made since 30 has turned me into its a uh, better husband, a better father, a better uh, worker, uh, a better entrepreneur, um, better everything. You obviously have accomplished so much, and I feel like you are an evident go-getter, and I'm not sure how much <laughs> of New York has to do with it. Um, and I feel like you have not like a list, right? But you do have like, okay, uh, let's say like check marks of things that you either have already accomplished or if you want to accomplish, you somewhat know that you will get there. So is there a point, and I just feel like because people in general, like who are very motivated, that you see, like, is there a, you know, a line or, you know, some type of like target that you want to reach until you are quote unquote satisfied? Um... I'll say this. First of all, I'll say the city has almost everything to do with it. And I can talk more about that in a minute um, about the mentality of New York city and accomplishing things. Um, I would say, so years ago I was traveling probably three weeks out of every month and I was sitting in an airport and I, I wrote out a hundred things I wanted to do before I died. And one of those was write a book. I want to visit all these places. I want to hold a monkey. I want to learn how to do ballroom dance. Like there's all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff in there. Um, and I revisited that. Like I check things off as I do it. And I slowly realized I don't care about them anymore uh, because I found my satisfaction. And it's not like I need to accomplish a whole lot of things in order to be satisfied because each day I'm doing something now, which is such a bizarre thing to say. Like I would never have said this five years ago, but now I'm, I'm actually in a moment where each day I wake up and say, what am I going to do today? And it's what I want to do, right? I'm taking clients that I want to work with. It's amazing. Um, I don't watch TV. The whole time I watch TV, I'm thinking about what else I could be doing. Um, so whether it's researching or reading or, or uh, uh, writing a book, whether it's um, going for a run, training for a triathlon, finding something new and interesting that's going to a new, a new type of client I've never worked with before that, that would challenge me in a different way. I get bored very easily. And so uh, my satisfaction is basically playing the boredom game on how do I not get bored? And when I'm not bored, satisfaction is through the roof. So I don't need to, I actually don't need to accomplish anything else um, in order to be satisfied. 
it's just the ongoing finding fun things to do that are productive is what is what keeps my satisfaction going. And what I mean, I, one of the big things is being a parent um, <laughs> where like there are just days where I can spend time with my daughter and that's it. And uh, it's the most satisfying thing in the world. And then other days I'm writing together a 50 page proposal for a client. And that's just as satisfying because it's going to be really interesting. Well, I guess, you know, when you're a parent, you can never really be bored. <laughs> oh, but I you wouldn't... can. You can. Really? You haven't seen all of these TV shows that they want to watch. And how many times can you play the same, you know, little game with a four-year-old? It can be uh, it can be difficult. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the difference between boredom and doing something, if that makes right. sense. Because you can watch your child watch television and still be bored. So, yeah, that's a really, I guess, interesting um, topic. <laughs> and I think that's something that we share in common, just, a, just the idea of boredom, because maybe because I was also born and raised in New York City, and it's such a stimulating city that I just have this inclination in me that I always, always need to be doing something. And I, I'm definitely not the type that sleeps in, and if I stay in my apartment more than two days in a row, I get like, I don't know if it's anxiety, but I get this like itch to like have to go out, even if it's just for a stroll. So I'm with you on on the whole boredom thing. Yeah, it's um, so I spent time living outside of the city. Um, I spent time in D.C. I spent time in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I spent time in Omaha, Nebraska. Um and so I've seen what it's like outside of the city. And and my wife and I even came close a couple of times to leaving New York just because it's it would be so much cheaper and you can get a bigger place. And um, the thing that kept us here is, you know, just those little things, which you can't quantify. Like you go into a place and say, I'll take two slices of pizza and it's in your hand before you finish your sentence. Whereas in another place, you're going to be waiting 30 minutes for them to figure out, you know, how to unfreeze pizza. Um, so all like there's an energy in New York that you do need to always do something. And, and I'm, I'm kind of an introverted person too, so I don't need to go out with other people. But that's another thing that I love about the city is you can go out and do things and be completely anonymous, but still be around people, which is kind of nice too. Wait, that is so interesting you mentioned that because my previous guest, which is the episode that is going live or went live before you with Val Monroe, one of the things that she mentioned that she loves about the city is that you can be anonymous. And honestly, mm -hmm. I never thought about that just because when I think of New York, I think of the energy, the diversity, having everything in you know the palm of your hands. And once I did adopt, like once I did put my head in that space, I was like, oh my God, that is such a beautiful perk because you can be as out there as you want, or right. you can be as quote unquote, maybe like invisible, <laughs> like the choice yeah. is yours and nobody's here to judge you. That's so right. I and I, I love the fact that, you know, New Yorkers have so many things on their plates mm -hmm. that they understand what's really important. So to judge another human being for whatever reason is just an absolute waste of time. And that's why people are attracted to the city because you get to experience one, you get to experience the different cultures and you recognize that there are human beings behind it. But there are so many other more important things than to, than to give someone a hard time for whatever kind of thing that they got going on. Um, but the city will give you, has anything and everything you need. If you need anonymity, it's got it. If you need a, a, a conversation, you will find someone, one of the local watering holes 
um, to just have a conversation with or a person on the subway or whatever. We've got these weird dynamic relationships going on. Um, and then at the same time, you need, you know, you need food, drugs, booze, whatever it is. I mean, it's got, it's got it all, you know, whatever you need. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. So I want to shift gears just a little bit and I would love to ask you, Jim, what keeps you up at night? And let me preface this by saying that if you don't have anything keeping you up at night right now, as we are recording and you are honestly on a high, <laughs> that is totally fine. But I just want to peel back the layers and see, you know, is there anything right now that is stressing you out? And if you can share with all of us, what would that be? Um, I mean, I guess there's different levels of things that will keep me up at night. Um, so I'll give it... Let me see. We got different levels. We've got certainly my daughter will keep me up at night. Um, and, uh, I do feel like, uh, the one thing that I constantly worry about is that things are constantly changing so quickly that people can't really adapt. And in order to deal with it, um, they look externally for solutions. And that's why we, we see just massive, um, drug problems and, and everything else. And, um, so like the opioid epidemic and, and all of that, I do feel like it's because people can't quite adapt uh, and they're feeling lost. And so uh, it makes me nervous just to make sure that I'm instilling the right things in my daughter. That keeps me up a bunch. Um, other things that keep me up right now, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and so she's you know too young for any kind of vaccine or anything. She goes to school. And so um, you want her to be safe and, and all of that. Uh, and then other times, you know, with my ups and downs, I wasn't sleeping the last couple of weeks. I had a triathlon coming up. I couldn't do it. Um, and it was just, uh, I got that melancholy kind of, you know, what's going on and, and bit of uncertainty. And so I usually have to ask myself different types of questions, what's causing it and, and, you know, what do I have to do to knock off my to-do list? Um, so as I accomplish whatever I want to accomplish, there are always those, you know, weeks or two weeks where nothing comes off of my to-do list because I'm just completely overwhelmed. Maybe I just sign up for too many things, but, um, my ability, uh, and, and I guess setting the expectation part of that, that happiness equation is revisiting those expectations all the time. And, and my personal expectations of what I'm capable of doing will keep me up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, I've, Prior to us recording, I was like, I don't really have an agenda. I'm just going to go with the flow. So I'm kind of jumping from like place to place. But I do want to touch upon your love for running. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a runner. <laughs> I love working out. I love being active, but I'm not a runner. And I'm just curious to know why do you love running so much? And just give a quick, quick synopsis of, I guess, your discovery for the activity and then beyond just the activity in general, because I know you participate in marathons and triathlons, just that whole aspect. Is it, is it like the competitiveness? Is it again, like, because I guess it can relate to a goal. And of course I feel like you are very goal driven. Just tell me about that. You know, it probably started with, I'm an extremely competitive individual. Um, and, uh, so it probably started with something like that. But when I go back to when I started running, so I used to be big. I used to be really overweight. I used to be like 250, 260 pounds. I used to smoke two packs a day. Um, I used to drink a lot. 
um, a lot, a lot. Um, and, uh, and so finally I just got fed up with it and I wanted to get in shape and I would try running and I couldn't do it. Like I would go maybe 10 minutes on a treadmill and then just go back and have a beer. Or I try to run like half a block and I couldn't do it. And I was embarrassed. Um, and so my journey to loving running was the first thing I had to do was recognize that I was capable of doing it. And so I signed up for a Tough Mudder like years ago. It was one of their first ones in Jersey. I'm like, this looks fun. 12 mile run with like all these obstacles. And I just did it because I was an idiot. Um, and I had never run more than a half a mile or a mile at a time. And I was able to do it because I went so slow. And that was like an awareness thing of, oh, okay, this is how I can actually do it. So I started running really slow. And I realized I didn't know how to run. And which sounds ridiculous that you don't know how to run. And um, after a couple of, you know, just running and watching other people run and seeing different things, I started to learn how to run. And I started getting better at it. Once I got better at it, um, it's now become my thinking time um, where I'll go, you know, I go, ideally I'm running five or six times a week for five to 10 miles at a clip. And if I have any kind of challenge with work or anything else at the end of that run, uh, I've got everything sorted out. And when I hit my low of my melancholy or anything else, uh, running is usually what's going to help it because I can then articulate what it is that I'm looking to figure out. Um, and, and running, I would say running is like eating a kale salad. Kale doesn't taste good, but you like how you feel after you ate it. And running may not feel good in the moment if you're looking to run or do anything from a fitness perspective, but you're going to feel great at the end of it. So when I get up at four or five in the morning and go for a 10 mile run, uh, it doesn't really matter what else is happening because I'm in a completely different mindset of I've accomplished something. It's good to go today. And uh, you just feel good that you did it. So that's why I ended up loving running. I'm an extremely competitive individual, but now I don't actually race people. It's just more of what can I do and what can I accomplish um, and I think the next thing I want to do is just run the perimeter of Manhattan. I think that's going to be my next, my next big goal. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I always hear runners high, so I'm sure that's, that's a thing. And by the way, I really love kale. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, know why. I eat my kale salads, but there are a lot of people who don't. Um, yeah. I guess the other, I guess, takeaway is the fact, you know, that quote, like you, you don't off, you will never really regret a workout right? You, you will regret not working out. So as tough as it may be in the moment, the benefits are just, you know, phenomenal. Yeah. And it don't, you don't have to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. It's, um, and that's what I have to kind of remind myself sometimes when I don't feel like going for a run, I just have to tell myself, you don't have to go 10 miles today. Maybe it's just two. Um, and running is also, you know, one of the things, an awareness thing for me, which I didn't learn until far too late is that working out is, you know, Cardio is only a heart exercise. Um, it's cardiovascular workout. So it's really primarily for heart and blood flow. But if you want to work out and lose weight and do everything else, running's not really going to do it. Um, so there are so many other activities. As long as you do something physically active every day, even if it's just a walk for 15, 20 minutes, is, uh, you're just, you're, it, it gets oxygen to your brain. It does all kinds of, of good for you in general. And, uh, and then you find yourself making better eating decisions and everything else because you've got your run or your walk or your roller skating or whatever it is you want to do. You make better choices so that that time working out works out better. Absolutely. I agree. I love working out. So as we are kind of wrapping up the episode, my second to last question is, 
what is your city confession? I know I just kind of threw it at you. So my podcast is called The City Confessions. I love inviting guests who are doing amazing things in New York City, but I always like to end it with a, you know, a fun segment (laughs) where people share their confessions. And there is no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. It's just a good way for us to depart. I share a confession before we depart. So, Jim, if you can share a confession, what would that be? Oh, man. Confession that I've done? (laughs) It could be something that you've done. It can be something that maybe people don't know about you. So, like, it can relate to, like, a fun fact or something you wish people knew about you. I don't know. It's kind of however you receive this. Mm, Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm going to have to think about it. I mean, I've got, I guess I confess that I have a desire to see the city change. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, you know, um, which probably isn't that great, but I want to see the city change into a um, more residential and make it just a cooler hangout. I can't wait to see what New York brings in the next 10 or 15 years. I mean, I've done so. All right. So confessions. Um, uh I used to be so much more fun when I was a, a, a drinker. So um, uh, I convinced an Irish cousin to swim in the Hudson in the middle of the night. That's oh my God. And they one. did it. That's crazy. And he did it. Yeah. I jumped in with him. Um, and then we went down to a comedy club on McDougal street, uh, soaking wet. Our pants were dripping wet. Um, and you know, uh, what's funny. So I think I'm fun and outgoing, but all my friends tell me that I'm so much more fun when I'm drunk and I get that, you know, a lot of people are more fun, but sometimes I take a little bit, like I take that personally, (laughs) like, am I not good enough or just enough in general when I'm sober? But I don't know. You know, back when I was a big drinker, I used to think that I was more fun when I was a drinker because I was a little crazy and you lose the inhibitions. Mm -hmm. But then I stopped drinking and I realized how much more fun I was having. When I wasn't drinking and to be someone's, you know, when they say you're more fun drinking, um, and I get that, I used to get that a lot. Like, uh, and I feel like, you know, I'm not here to entertain you. Um, I'm here to enjoy company myself. Um, and I remember talking to my wife about it. You know, I had this amazing capability to get people to do things that they didn't think that they could do. And like having an Irish cousin jump in the Hudson, um, but then, you know, I'm like, why am I being like that? Why, why am I using this for evil? Why don't I actually use it for good? And why don't I, you know, um, convince someone that they're capable of launching a business? And why don't I convince someone that they're capable of doing all these things? And all of a sudden it changed. And now the people I'm surrounding myself with aren't the people that wished I was a drinker. They're the people who appreciate, you know, the ability of accomplishing more things. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I wouldn't go back to that. So, you know what, Marianne, I would say that you are hella more fun sober than when you are drunk. Thank you so much. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to take a moment right now to just send you gratitude for saying yes to being on my podcast. I also really love the fact that we did this so quickly. I think I connected with you via Twitter about what, like a week and a half ago, we yeah. like walked this in and it's just so wonderful when people make it so easy for me. 
And I think your story is just, you know, obviously valid and important. And I think whoever's listening got something positive out of this. So I do want to thank you for taking time out of your day to come and record with me. Always. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And then right now is your chance to plug away. I'm obviously going to have all of your information, any relevant links you want me to include in the show notes. But as of now, do you have anything that you want to announce to the world? And if you have any secret projects or anything in the works that you can share, feel free to do so. Sure. Uh, uh, You can find me on bellwetherhub.com. The new secret project is that I'm revamping the entire website, and that's going to be up in September. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all those places is Bellwether Hub. Uh, the book is called Adapting in Motion, Finding Your Place in the New Economy. That's available anywhere books are sold. Uh, and it's all about how to manage change when you don't know what change is coming. And uh, I do have, I can't say it yet, but I do have some cool things coming out in the wintertime, uh, which is going to fundamentally change the way that people learn and develop um, in a very cost-effective manner, if I could say it that way. You know, Tony Robbins doesn't have to be so expensive, if you get my gist. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so we'll, we'll see how, how that's going to shape up for 2022. Yes, how exciting. Okay, my last question is, what is the one thing you love most about yourself? Oh, boy, about myself? Oh, yes, I thought you were going to ask about the city. No, we have to turn it back to you. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, the one thing I love the most about myself. You know what? There was a um, one of the quotes that I got from my book. Um, and uh, he said... The nicest compliment was that I cared and I legitimately care about the people I work with and the people I'm around and everything else. Um, I may not always show it, um, but I do feel like I've got a pretty good compass um, in terms of doing what's right for, for the people around me. And I, I think, um, I think now I'm at a point where I, I can actually make those right types of decisions not worry about what other people say. I can more think about, you know, what I'm capable of doing and, and, and I'm comfortable with every decision that I make. So that's what I'd like most about myself. Um, and I also have a pretty good voice. I hear I have a pretty good voice. So I'll go with that. I too. was just, I'm not even lying. Before we actually end the podcast, I was going to say you have an amazing voice and it makes so much sense that you are a podcast host yourself. Because when I first heard you, I was like, oh my God, he has a voice for like listening oh boy all right no honestly <laughs> it's so great <laughs> i get so many compliments but i i don't hear it because you know it's my own voice so yeah um, so i'll take it it's great no it it's like perfect for like radio or like <laughs> anything that you want to speak i feel like people are like okay i'm going i'm going to listen just purely <laughs> for the sound of your voice but obviously i know you obviously add value as well Maybe I'll just read books on YouTube or something and that'll be my Yeah, you can probably start a new, you know, career in like you know those audiobooks? What are they called? Like speakers or or even like in characters, like in in a movie, like those animations. I'll take it. I'll I I would I would happily do that. That's a great gig if you can get it. 
<laughs> we'll put it out in the universe. If anybody's listening <laughs> and knows a connection, That's feel right. free to message Jim. All right. Well, that was such a lovely conversation. So thank you so much again for coming on. I hope all thank of you. you enjoyed this episode. I'm leaving all of Jim's information in the show notes. So be sure to click on that, expand on the notes. And with that being said, thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful day, week, and I will see you next week for, for the next episode. All right. Bye.